0: In May of 2000, Allison Thresher vanished from her small apartment in Bethesda, Maryland. It was the night before she was supposed to start a new position with the Washington Post. She's never been found, but the mystery surrounding Allison's disappearance has only deepened in the time she's been gone. This is a story of betrayal, anger, stunning accusations, and family secrets unearthed. There are strange coincidences and odd connections, but it is also a story about survival forgiveness and incredible courage what did allison thresher know and who wanted her gone as you're about to learn there are many answers to both questions and new clues that are only being revealed in this podcast I'm Melanie Onwick, a reporter for the Fox station in Washington, D.C. When this story was first breaking 18 years ago, we had a decent rundown of the last days and hours before Allison Thresher disappeared. Thresher was at her apartment Tuesday night, but missed a doctor's appointment and didn't show for work at the Washington Post on Wednesday. Even eight months later, despite no sightings of Allison, no activity on her bank accounts or credit cards, it was still considered a missing persons case. Here's Montgomery County Police Officer Derek Belisles from an interview in January 2001.
1: At this point, we don't see anything that leads us to foul play, but our investigation continues because it's suspicious why a woman with all these wonderful things going for her would suddenly disappear.
0: There were more details, significant details, that police didn't fully investigate, and some were just learning about now. Today, those are leading cold case detectives down a much different path, Here's what we know. Allison Thresher was last seen on Tuesday, May 23, 2000. She'd had dinner with her parents in Washington, D.C., then went back to her apartment on Sangamore Road in Bethesda, Maryland. Police know she was there because she called a friend at 10 p.m. She sent an email at 1151, another at 1217 a.m. That was her last communication with anyone. It's now Wednesday, May 24th. Allison was alone that night. Her kids were a half mile away at her ex-husband Jim Thresher's apartment. It was his custody week. Allison's apartment was near the front of the Sumner Highlands community. It's a series of long rectangular brick buildings circled around a central oval parking lot. Each building has a walkway that leads to a well-lit covered portico entrance with large white columns and a big main door with a half window. Allison would park her Volvo right in front of the building Apartment 103 is down just a few steps from the front entrance to the right of the landing. There are neighbors above and below. Sometime between 3 and 5 a.m., neighbors wake up to terrible sounds. Here's Detective Katie Leggett with Montgomery County Police and her partner, Detective Mark Janney.
2: Well, one person described them as horrible screams like someone was being hurt, which leads you to ask, why would they not call the police, but again, It's not our job to Monday morning quarterback, but when a scream is explained that way, I guess, you know, maybe things would have been different. But, and the other one, I I don't know if it was that graphic.
1: No, well, the, the term they used was anguished cries.
0: A neighbor living directly below Allison also told police
2: she heard pacing, like heavy footsteps going back and forth over the floors above. Now, I don't think Mark and I believe that somebody was her at this point I think it was the the murderer
0: but detectives back then misinterpreted that information more on that in a minute at 6 a.m. a strange man was seen running through the Brookmont neighborhood where Allison's Volvo station wagon would be found the next day it was parked on Broad Street near the corner of Ridge Drive 1.1 miles from Allison's apartment on Sangamore Road
1: it was seen by um, multiple people who lived in that neighborhood and he was described as being small in stature, uh, wearing a, a hooded sweatshirt. It was kind of at the break of day, so the, the lighting wasn't great. But the uh, multiple people um, who saw him were throughout the neighborhood and traced him going back in the direction of Sangamore.
0: Neighbors at Allison's apartment complex told police they also saw Allison with a mystery man in March or April 2000, a few months before she disappeared. Police then said he was described at 5 feet 4 inches tall, 48 to 50 years old, possibly of Hispanic descent. It's a close but not exact match to two people in Allison's life. One, Fernando Estorizaga, a Spanish teacher from the children's school. He's 5'4", about 160 pounds, 33 years old. Allison suspected he was having an inappropriate relationship with her daughter, and the man we've agreed to call Evan, Allison's ex-boyfriend, Evan, described in divorce records as five seven, a hundred and ninety pounds with brown hair. He happens to work as a Spanish translator.
3: It couldn't have been me, because after November of '99, I did not see Allison again, and um. I I certainly would have been seen up to that time. Mm -hmm. But during the last six months of her life, I I didn't see her, no.
0: He's been interviewed by detectives a couple of times and cleared. Evan doesn't think very highly of the team that was first on the case.
3: I have to say that with regard to this investigation, um, they have in no way demonstrated their reputation for being a professional investigative law enforcement agency. Um, they, they proved themselves to be incompetent, lazy, deceitful, and callous to the people who, to whom Allison uh, meant something. When they were active, it just seemed to me they were very happy to bark up any tree except the one that to anyone who knew her seemed uh, would have been the most fruitful in terms of an investigation.
0: Today, cold case detectives Leggett and Janny say mistakes were made in the initial investigation.
1: I think there's fair criticism, but I also think you have to look at it through the lens of hindsight. Um, they were going where they thought the evidence was leading them. And uh, it's easy now, 18 years later, to go back through knowing what we know and view things with a completely new set of eyes.
0: Now here's a freaky coincidence. Remember in episode two, we went through the details of Allison's contentious divorce. Going through court records, I noticed that divorce was finalized on May 24, 1999 one year exactly from the day Allison disappeared.
4: Yeah,
0: that's true. And then she was killed
4: on May 24th, 2000. That gives me chills. It, it, It certainly freaked me out when I realized that, too.
0: Family didn't find out Allison was missing until Thursday evening, May 25th. Sarah Thomas, Allison's sister, got a call from her parents, then Sarah called police. Sarah tells us while she was waiting to file a missing persons report with an officer in Tacoma Park near her house, another detective called Allison's ex-husband, Jim Thresher, and met Jim at Allison's apartment.
4: While I was making the report, the police were at Allison's apartment and Jim showed up there and I was telling them not to let anyone in the apartment. Because it just, I mean, I I felt like, you know, it never occurred to me that she'd been murdered, but I thought, you know, that that their relationship wasn't such that she would want him going in her apartment. I was on the phone, you know, I was talking to this sergeant or whatever he was um, in that parking lot who was on the phone with the officers at the apartment. I'm saying, don't let him in, don't let him in. And don't let Jim in her apartment and he was telling the officers on the scene that and they let him in anyway.
0: Detectives Leggett and Jannie acknowledged that Jim was in the apartment touching
2: everything they say and that is a problem for the case today. So I believe at that time it was just a station level investigations who still do missing person cases. They are understanding is that they went out and they called her ex-husband and he met them there, correct? Yes. Yeah, which is an issue for us. But again, I mean, I think as you go through these cases, you realize that you would do things a lot differently, but you don't like to Monday morning quarterback. But in those kinds of cases, that's gonna be the number one suspect immediately and to let, he went into the house. So that, that off the bat has created some obstacles for us and it created some obstacles for them
0: Sarah tells me that Allison would have never let Jim Thresher or Fernando Asturizaga into her apartment before in the cold case files there's no documents showing there was even an attempt to collect fingerprints from the scene however if any prints were to be recovered that matched those of Allison's ex-husband one explanation would be that they were left there when he went in with detectives <laughs> Alison's purse and wallet were still in the apartment, and there was no sign of forced entry. Her son Sam, now twenty-nine years old, says his mother was extremely careful about security.
3: Totally, yes. She she wasn't like the kind like she wasn't the kind of person to, to leave doors unlocked. She was never, ever like risky.
0: She was worried, however, about the chain lock, which appeared to have been tampered with.
3: My mother in her notes wrote that she thought somebody had been in the apartment in the weeks prior to her disappearance.
0: And just days before Allison disappeared, Sam's key to the apartment door lock went missing.
3: I lost them, quote unquote, but I, I still even remember now like feeling wronged in that I was like being accused of losing my keys because I, I kind of had a habit of, you know, I'm ADD or whatever and I have a habit of losing shit. At the time I, I remember thinking, I didn't lose my keys, there's no way I lost my keys. It was scary, it was very scary.
0: That and other evidence apparently was discounted because police were misdirected to believe Allison took off on her own. So I understand that there was blood evidence at the scene. So a lot of blood, a little blood?
2: There wasn't a lot of blood and I think that's one of the reasons that the theory that the police came up with then seemed plausible to them it wasn't it wasn't a gruesome crime scene at all it, it it wasn't it was in our opinion something that that again hap something happened sinister there and then this person took measures to make it look like like it was a suicide or a distraught person what we know today is that was what the police looked at it as was a missing slash possible suicide based on the way that her house or her apartment was set up when they got in there. What do you
0: mean by set up to look like she had been distraught?
1: It looked like evidence had been tampered with. Um, When we started looking Mm -hmm. into the case and re-examining the crime scene photos, we immediately became concerned that um, the scene wasn't interpreted properly and we did some follow-up forensic things that uh, supported our theory and we're confident that it, it
2: was a murder scene.
0: When you say it was set up, how do you, how do you know that by looking at a picture?
2: Well, it, I mean, it was definitely staged, meaning things were placed to, look, to make it look like the narrative that person wanted the police to get. And, I mean, we can't obviously go into specific crime scene things, but I think one thing we can say is there was items that she was known to use that were placed in in odd places and, and in odd ways that we were able to disprove would be possible. I know that's confusing, but we can't, in the event that there is another suspect out there still, we can't divulge exactly what the crime scene looked like or what we've been able to ascertain with forensic technology. And we did utilize some federal agencies to do a lot of testing for us. And it's not typical DNA things. It's kind of outside of the box thinking that Mark and I did to get to where we were with the help of a fire marshal um, who had some other ideas. There was no fire or anything like that, but just people that had different ideas about- Can you
0: elaborate a little more? I'm so curious.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We'd love to, but they're the kind of details that anyone who was involved would know, but no one else would. So it's, we can't put that out publicly because it could jeopardize someone coming forward that, you know, like a copycat, or mm-hmm. And it would also discredit um, our belief that only the people that were involved know it.
0: I learned about other physical evidence through sources, Detectives Leggett and Jannie have asked me not to reveal that information, but at the April press conference, Montgomery County Police Chief Tom Manger did say this.
3: Based on recent forensic analysis, we now believe the suspect attempted to destroy evidence at the time uh, that the crime was committed inside her apartment.
0: Remember that people heard screams from Allison's apartment between three and five in the morning. Allison's Volvo station wagon was found about a mile away, parked on a heavily wooded street near the CNO Canal, and that neighbors saw a man running out of that Brookmont neighborhood about 6 in the morning. I question police about that timeline. So we have a very small window in there for someone to in theory have committed a murder, cleaned up the scene, taken, put the body in the car, driven it down to Brookmont, then back into the woods, dispose of the body, and run away by 6 a.m.?
1: Well, that's making an assumption that the body was in the car and disposed of in the woods. Right.
0: Do you believe that the body was disposed of in the woods?
1: Not in those woods.
0: Do you believe that the body was ever in the vehicle?
2: It's hard Mm -hmm. to say. We definitely go back and forth on that because we did find some things in the vehicle uh, that are curious, not forensically important, but curious. Um, and so we've, we've definitely gone back and forth with was she ever in the back of that vehicle? My gut today says no, and if she was, it wasn't for long. Today, Janney
0: and Leggett have another gut feeling about the case. In your experience, would it be physically possible for one person to accomplish all of that?
2: Uh, it would be difficult. She was tiny but it still would be very difficult and that's why we are still guarding the details of this case the way we are because Mark and I's gut is that there's two people involved, at least. At least. Yeah.
0: When police try to develop suspects, the first things they look at are who had a motive, opportunity, and means to carry out the crime. The answers might have been clearer if the questions had been asked right away. People closest to Allison say they told detectives at the time they didn't believe Allison would have driven down to the canal to kill herself. Again, Allison's sister, Sarah Thomas.
4: They were very um, uh, kind of like patriarchal. (laughs) Uh, You know, well, her husband said this or her husband said that, you know, and I mean, here they. They they were divorced, and in a hugely bitter, bitter divorce, it seemed inappropriate. When I went, had to start going through her things in her apartment, I mean, this was not the apartment of a distraught person. This was the apartment of a person who had an incredible amount of creative things going on in her life. Her table was, you know, had had, um, encyclopedias like from the thirties with articles she had post-it notes on, you know, that she was using for her, her writing. She was working on a novel, which, um, somebody said, I believe you told me, um, that someone said that maybe she killed herself because she'd been rejected on this novel, which was completely absurd. Um she 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 does that I have never accomplished you know, been so organized or had so many different <laughs> projects and in my life, you know. I mean, I've never had that level of involvement in in the idea that she was distraught is absurd two of her neighbors below her said that they heard screams and sobs and violent um violent screaming so much so that they almost called the police but didn't um and you know so that they heard that from at three in the morning in her apartment yeah. So people who commit suicide don't um, fight, have a fight with somebody else. Mm. Um. So anyway, that was just a complete um, cover-up on the part of the police. I believe that the Montgomery County Police Department is really trying so hard to make up for that. Yeah. And I think that's Honorable. Um, but at the time, it was
0: disgraceful. Most of Allison Thresher's family and friends tried to hold out hope that she'd turn up somewhere, but as fall turned to winter, others were convinced she wasn't coming back. Coming up, a battle to defend Allison's life. I left just, just shaking, I was in shock. Big questions about the school, and a painful admission about a long hidden past
2: that's that's something i i deeply deeply regret
0: thank you for listening to this podcast and please subscribe to missing pieces for the rest of this incredible story I couldn't have done this in-depth work without the help of other people, including my colleague, Fox 5 photographer and editor, Ronnie McRae, and the Montgomery County Police Department. We'd also like to give credit to Rose Audio for our original music. And a special thank you to Sarah Thomas, Allison Thresher's sister, and Allison's children, Hannah and Sam. They are survivors and strong, and they're hoping you, the listeners, can help them find Alison Thresher.